But according to Pastor Kevin, he, he's pretty certain that uh, Mark was pastoring here for a couple hundred years. <laughs> and uh, that, that, that part he was pretty certain about. And also he's pretty certain that now his new ministry of pastor to pastors, I got that right, uh, is called the New Church of the Herding Cats. Uh, so, and, and I know uh, Kelly Langberry has some... T- because he's doing a similar thing, has some certain lines about that. But Pastor Kevin has been trying to get Mark up here for a little while and uh, finally have succeeded. Yes, and then sadly, Kevin's not here to hear you. Yeah. So how's that work? That was purposeful. Yeah. <laughs> so Pastor Kevin. Yeah. Nice. Thank you so much. Hey, it's, it's uh, I, I really want to, I'm really sincere when I say this, and that is that. It's, it's really a privilege to be here. I'm, I'm really honored uh, by it and uh, uh, so, uh, so thankful. Throw my sermon notes away here. That becomes a danger for you as much as me. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I uh, you know, uh, I've lived in Lewiston since 1984 uh, and I had never even heard of Woodland until just a few years ago when I met Kevin and Christy. And the first time I actually came here to the church, it was for a pastor's meeting. And on my way, uh, I took a wrong turn. (laughs) And uh, I think I was finally up in northern Canada somewhere. (laughs) I realized I was lost. And so uh, I, uh, I retraced my route and found the correct road and... Uh, finally made it to the meeting just in time for the closing prayer. And that's that's not a joke. I <laughs> uh, sort of felt like the young preacher that was uh, brand new to this rural church. Uh, one one day the local funeral home director called him and said, hey, would you be willing to do a graveside service for this man? He, he lived all by himself. He didn't have any family members, no friends, so nobody's going to be at this service. But he deserves a, a, a proper burial. And so this young guy, he was more than willing to, to help with that. And uh, the, the day of the service, he headed out, but he got lost, couldn't find the cemetery. And uh, finally, he, he, he got there, but he was about 30 minutes late, no hearse in sight. Um, nobody was around except for a couple of uh, cemetery workers, and they were there uh, eating their lunch and... So the pastor looked around and saw the open grave. He found the vault lid already in place. And so he decided, okay, here we go. And, you know, he uh, read some scripture and said a few words and closed in prayer. And as he was walking back to his car, he could overhear one of the cemetery workers say to the other one, you think we should have told them that's a septic tank? <laughs> but, uh, but, but seriously, I, I really am honored to be here. Um, as uh, uh, Dean mentioned, it wasn't a uh, hundred years or a couple hundred years, but I did pastor at Orchards Community Church in Lewiston for 30 years. And then in 2014, I stepped aside so that my wife, uh, Jane, and I could uh, focus on a ministry to pastors and pastor couples, and especially to those who are serving in small churches. 
and or small towns, places like Woodland, Idaho. And, and like I said, I'd never even heard of it until I met Kevin and Christy. But, um, you know, I, I had the opportunity to be in a lot of places, to be in a lot of churches, not only in this area, but really around the world. Um, I've uh, had a chance to minister to a church in Merida, Venezuela, that met in an apartment, in the living room of an apartment. I was in uh, Kabura. Uh, it's the largest slum on the continent of Africa, uh, in Nairobi, and um, walked into the church, and I mean, it was, it was probably a fifth the size of this building here. It's, uh, it was like a clubhouse that I built <laughs> when I was a kid, and uh, I remember there was a there was a a, a, a light, uh, you know, a place for a, a light bulb, but there was no light bulb and there was no electricity in the, in the place, and, and yet um, it was really sweet. It was just really really sweet, um, and and. You know, I've, I ministered in all shapes and sizes, brands of, uh, of churches. There was one time when um, I, on the same Sunday morning, I ministered at a Lutheran church, very liturgical, uh, on a Sunday morning. And it was because the pastor had just lost his wife late that week. And I had already been scheduled to go to a, a, another church in Genesee. And uh, so it worked out that I, I, I served there at the Lutheran church uh, with my suit on and everything like that. And then I'm heading up to Genesee. And I'm thinking, you know, if I show up in a suit, they're going to kick me out. <laughs> so my wife drove and I'm in the front seat changing my clothes and praying that she won't go over the speed limit and we get pulled over and I'm there in my underwear. You know. uh, it, uh, but it all worked out. But really what I'm, what I'm really wanting to get to is that one of the things that we uh, learned, and this is how we started our ministry, and that is that in God's kingdom, there are no insignificant people. There are no insignificant ministries. There are no insignificant places. And, um, and, and that's why we're so excited uh, about what God is doing right here in this church, in this setting right here. You know, Kevin and Christy have become uh, friends of ours. We love them so much and, and and we have so much appreciation and respect and admiration for them and I hope that you know you have a good pastor you have a really good pastor here uh, and, a, and a great pastor's wife as a team uh, they're, they're really amazing and, um, it, it is not easy being a pastor especially in uh, in recent years here in, in, in America, and for that matter, around the world. Um, we're, we're in touch uh, indirectly with a pastor in Kiev right now. And um, we have received 
forwarded emails from him uh, describing what's what's going on there. I've been in Kiev and uh, in in that part of Ukraine. Um, it's 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 just not not easy. But but what's what's exciting is that God is on the throne. Even though sometimes we don't understand that very well. Um, and what's exciting is what God is doing right here among you. And uh, this morning what I, what I would like to do is I'd like to talk a little bit about being fearless. You know, because we face all kinds of fears. Every single one of us does. And... and, and it's probable that even events that have taken place in our world this past week have, have raised uh, some fears, insecurities in our lives. It has for me, and, and probably for many of us. And I've thought about the fact that now is the time. Now is the time for us as God's people to learn how to live a fearless life. And as I say that, I want to I want to make sure that we understand something because I think there's a misunderstanding about what it means to be fearless because fearlessness is not the absence of fear. It's not that now all my fears go away. Uh, but being fearless means that I do what God wants me to do regardless of my fears. In other words, I choose to act in faith in spite of my feelings of fear. Because those feelings of fear can come into my life, they can be very real, it's not a fake fear. There's no such thing as a fake fear. Every fear that we experience is very real. Now, it may not be based on reality, but the feeling itself is real. And, and at times it can be very strong. And we all know that, we've all been in that spot. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at a fearless person in the Old Testament. A man who acted in faith regardless of any feelings of fear that he might have had. So if you have a Bible, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 23. And as we're turning there, what I would like to ask you to do is to think about an issue, a situation in your life right now that you really don't want to deal with. You know, it's there, but if you were really honest with yourself, at least you'd admit that you're avoiding it, or you're uh, pretending it's not there, or you're just hoping it will go away by itself. And, and I'm not referring to a task on your to-do list that you're putting off and procrastinating on, but just some kind of an issue, some kind of a situation. Maybe it's a relational issue, or a habit, or an addiction that you're struggling with or a situation that's causing you a lot of anxiety or maybe a hard or painful conversation that you know that you need to have with somebody or a decision that you have to make or maybe something else about your future or the direction of your life. But regardless of what it is, that you're avoiding dealing with it and or you're living in denial that it's there. And uh, the reason we avoid and deny things is because we're afraid of that issue. That's really what's going on. And, and over time, what we will tend to do 
is we will just sort of try to manage our life around that. We'll manage our lives around the fear. In fact, we can get so used to it that we don't stop and think about how that fear is holding us hostage. And so, as we think about that, here in Second Chapter 23, we, um, uh, we meet this guy named Benaiah. Now, how many of you have ever heard of Benaiah? Anybody? Okay. Most of us probably haven't, because he doesn't rank very high up on the list of who's who in the Bible. But uh, uh, let me just tell you a little bit about Benaiah. We're going to see some of these things in this passage. But he was one of King David's top soldiers, one of his uh, top leaders. He is uh, called one of David's uh, mighty men. He was an important leader in David's army. He was a general. He had uh, a charge of 24,000 uh, troops, and he would develop the strategy to uh, use these troops to protect Israel. And on top of that, he was the captain of uh, King David's uh, bodyguards, so he was in charge of the secret service of the day. And, um, and, and David had this kind of this hierarchy of, of his top warriors, his top uh, military leaders, and at the very top of the, at the top of the list, there were three guys that were known as the three. Um, that makes sense, doesn't it? There were three of them, so they were called the three. You know, we would think uh, that's 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 pretty good on David's part to call them the three. And uh, but above them, actually, there was a commander of the three, and then right below the commander of the three and the three, there was another group. Um, that was known as the 30. Now, how many of us could probably guess how many were in the 30? Most of us are saying 30, right? Well, you're wrong. <laughs> there were actually 37 in the 30. Apparently, David was a great king, but he wasn't good at math. I, I, you know, I have a son-in-law who's an accountant, and uh, he tells me all the time, he said, Mark, he said, there's three kinds of accountants. Those who can count, and those who can't. <laughs> Think about it. Anyway. <laughs> so apparently David was not a, a great accountant because so, there were 37 men in the 30. And Benaiah was in this group of 37. Um, and um, and the, the, the lead guy in the, the 30 that was composed of 37, anyway, his name was Abishai. And then Benaiah was the next most renowned and, uh, and uh, leading guy. So David's hierarchy was the commander of the three, then the three, then the 37 who were the 30, <laughs> and then Abishai, and then Benaiah. So he was the number six warrior or leader in the whole kingdom uh, uh, that uh, David had. And so we pick up in, in verse 20. It says, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, was a valiant fighter from Kabzeel who performed great exploits. Now, just stop right there for a second. This is the summary of his life. Okay, this is the big picture. This is what would be on his gravesite. He was a valiant fighter who performed great exploits. And then there's a few of these exploits that are mentioned. Because it says, he struck down two of Moab's best men. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. 
And he struck down a huge Egyptian. Although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, Benaiah went against him with a club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Then it says, such were the exploits of Benaiah. And, and when it says such were the exploits, it's basically saying that there were more things like these that are mentioned. Okay? So these are the highlights of his career. But there were more things like these highlights. And we're going to come back to this in a few minutes. But we'll just finish up the verses. Because it says, in the rest of verse 22, He too was as famous as the three mighty men. He was held in greater honor than any of the 30, but he was not included among the three. And David put him in charge of his bodyguard. So Benaiah was just fearless when we look at uh, what he did. And, and what I want to do for a moment is just to focus in on one of the exploits uh, that, are, that are mentioned. And it's in there in verse 20, uh, because it gives us insight into what it looks like to live a fearless life. Because it says, he went down into a pit on a snowy day, and he killed a lion. Now this is a very unique story because it's the only time in the Bible where snow is mentioned in a literal sense. And, um, you know, doesn't snow very often in Israel. Uh, you know, there are no ski hills, uh, at least that I'm aware of. Um, so apparently this happened, you know, before global warming. I don't know. But anyway, uh, one day it snowed. Somehow this lion ends up in this pit. We don't know how he got there. One Bible scholar suggests that he got lost in the snowstorm and, you know, fell into the pit. Well, we don't know. All we know is that this lion was in this pit. Now, the word pit is the word cistern. And a cistern is not the feminine version of brethren. Okay? That's not what a cistern is. A cistern was like an underground cave where water was collected and stored. It was not the same thing as a well, which was a water source, but it was a water supply, and it would be the water supply for a community, a group of people. The people in the town or village would go to the cistern to draw water, and sometimes they would actually go down into the cistern to draw water, depending on where the water level was. And uh, the, the important thing is that this was a significant public place. Okay? It was critical to the welfare of the community. And that's where this lion is. And lions were the most feared wild animal of the ancient world. They pose the greatest danger, the greatest threat to public safety more than any other animal. And they were prevalent in Israel in those times. So here we have this lion in the cistern, this public place where people often would go. He's probably not in the best mood. You know, he's a caged animal. He can't get out. He's probably getting hungry, not a lot to eat in a cistern, plenty of water to drink. And he's a threat, he's a danger to the community. And, and you know, everybody could have just said, well, you know, I guess we've got to have to learn to live with a lion in the cistern. <laughs> you know, and, and just avoid dealing with it. 
kind of walk around it, manage life around it, you know, stay away from the cistern. I mean, you can just imagine young moms saying to their kids, now, kid, when you go out to play today, stay away from the cistern. There's a lion there. See, dealing with this lion was, was risky. It was dangerous. And it could create, created a, a dilemma for the community because how are they going to get water to drink? How are they going to get water to wash with? How are they going to get water you know, to, to um, cook with? And, and, and as I said, they, they, they would have to learn to manage their lives around this lion in their cistern. And so they were being held hostage in that way. Held hostage by their own fear. And again, this is not a made-up fear. This is real. This is genuine. It's understandable. But you see, Benaiah was fearless. And he wasn't going to let these feelings of fear hold him hostage. And so he takes this step of faith, a courageous step of faith. He goes down into that cistern on a snowy day. We'll see the significance of that a little bit later. He faced that lion, he confronted that lion, he dealt with that lion, he killed that lion. Now, was he scared? Well, we don't know for sure. It doesn't say that, but probably. He could have played safe. He could have continued to live in avoidance and denial. But you see, and this is what's important, he was more afraid of what would happen if he didn't deal with it than if he did. It's, it's interesting because this whole lion idea is a theme in Benaiah's life. You know, the first exploit that is mentioned in verse 20 is that he, you know, killed these two Moabite men. Now, the Old Testament... Uh, was written in Hebrew, as most of you probably know. And in Hebrew, there's a little play of words that's going on here. Because if we were to translate that literally, it would say, he struck down two lion-like men from Moab. That's the literal translation. So somehow these guys were ferocious. They posed as a threat or as a danger. Greatly feared. They were lion-like. And the safe route was just to avoid these guys and avoid dealing with them. But apparently, Benaiah was more afraid of what would happen if he didn't deal with it than what would happen if he did. And then there's this huge Egyptian that is mentioned. According to uh, 1 Chronicles 11.22, this guy was seven and a half feet tall, played center for the... No, no. His uh, spear was the size of a weaver's beam, and I've never been able to figure out how big that is, but apparently it's big. <laughs> and, um, and and, and um, this guy was ferocious. He, he posed as a threat, a danger to Benaiah and probably the nation of Israel. So in that sense, he was lion-like. And again, the safe route would be to avoid dealing with him, just learn to manage life around him. 
But again, apparently Benaiah was more afraid of what would happen if he didn't deal with it than if he did. See, Benaiah could have played it safe. And he could have walked away from these two Moabites. He could have walked away from the Egyptian. could have walked away from that lion in the cistern. Been so much easier. But all that would accomplish is prolonging the danger, increasing the threat. And so he took that risk of faith, that courageous risk of faith. He trusted the Lord and he slayed the lions. And here's the whole point. That when it comes to dealing with an issue in my life that I'm afraid to confront, playing it safe is the most dangerous thing that I could do. And and, uh, maybe to say it a different way, playing it safe is more risky than taking the risk of faith. Now, with that in mind, we go back to this uh, issue, this situation in your life that you identified earlier. And um, you know what that is. That's a lion in your system. We all have them. And we don't want to face it. We don't want to deal with it. We want to live in avoidance, denial. We'll just learn to manage our lives around it. We'll stay away from it. We'll say, you know, I'm not going there. I'm not going there. Because we're afraid. And, and this, whatever it is, it poses a danger, as a threat to us, and we get so used to it. And we forget that it's holding us hostage. And what we end up doing is we end up prolonging the danger, increasing the threat. And the truth is, we should be more afraid of what could happen or will happen in our lives if we don't deal with it than if we do. You see, here's something we need to understand. And that is, there's never a convenient time to kill a lion. That's the significance, I think, of that snowy day reference. You know, this was not a convenient time for Benaiah to go into that cistern. You know, if, if he had to climb into that pit, it was cold, it was slippery. And, and he just could have said, you know, I'll just wait for a better day. I'll just wait for a better day. And just continue to live in avoidance, continue to live in denial continue to manage our lives around whatever it is, continue to be held hostage, thinking, you know, one of these days, one of these days, and the longer we put it off, the more the more that just doesn't mean anything at all. There's never a convenient time to kill a lion. Let me just uh, tell you a personal story from my own life as we begin to kind of wrap this up. So uh, this is a this is a self confession. I'm a wimp, okay, admittedly, <laughs> and my personality type 
is that I will do just about anything to avoid pain. <laughs> you know, I don't like it. That, that's just what I'm like. And, uh, and, and several weeks ago, uh, Jane brought to my attention that there was a lion in my cistern. And that's not how she said it, but uh, she reminded me of a situation that I was in denial and avoidance about. Uh, it had come to the point for me that I kind of forgot about it, pretended that everything was okay. And it's crazy how convinced I was that it was okay. <laughs> but it really wasn't. It was a relational issue with somebody. It wasn't major, but it was just something that needed to be taken care of. And, um, and actually, I was doing perfectly fine until she asked me about it. <laughs> you know, hey, I'm fine. What line? There's no line. And I had learned to manage my life around it just, just fine. And, and I, I, I even got upset with her about it, you know? What, what are you bringing this up for? I took care of that. No problem. And uh, at first I thought, you know, you have awakened a sleeping lion in my cistern. But you know what the truth was? The truth was that she woke me up to the fact that there was a lion in the cistern. And, and she was very gracious about it. Uh, she wasn't, you know... She wasn't in my face about it or whatever, but she forced me to face the reality that this was there. And, and this happened late at night. So that's an inconvenient time. And uh, finally, I just I got up and I spent the next couple of hours just wrestling with this thing. Just wrestling with this lion, processing my emotions about it, facing my fears about it. You know, in this situation, I'm kind of struggling, well, you know, what, what, what should I say to this person, and how do I say it? And, and, and then the big one was, how is this person going to respond? That was my biggest fear, quite honestly. And, and, and let me, by the way, just also give you another little insight. Uh, when it comes to killing lions, it's, it's rarely a first-round knockout. It's more like a long wrestling match. And sometimes we even get scratched up a little bit. And I finally, as I was struggling through this thing, I finally just said, Lord, okay, I need your help here. I really need your help here. Because I've got to face this thing, I've got to deal with it, and I, I, and I, I have to trust you here. And I was forced to take that risk of faith. Now, if I went into more detail, some of you would say, What's the problem? But for me, it was. That's the other thing, is that some of the things that you're afraid of, I might look at and go, really? You're afraid of that? 
you know, one, one of the things that I had to avoid when I was giving counsel to, as a pastor, to people in my church is I had to avoid saying, what's your problem? <laughs> no, anyway, I didn't say that. Um, but what happened is that as I wrestled with this thing, that I became more afraid of what would happen if I didn't deal with it than if I did. And so I worked it through, and then the next day I took my the final step in my risk of faith, and I contacted this other person, and I shared with him what the Lord had placed on my heart to say, and I kind of was thinking, well, Lord, I did my part. And, and you know the lion was dead, but what was really cool in my situation, this doesn't always happen, but uh, the gracious response I received, not only had the lion died, but it was buried. It's always kind of nice when you get to bury the lion. <clears throat> but it was only my job to kill the lion. And you know, in all of this, my feelings of fear never really went away. But I realized that playing it safe like I had been doing was the most dangerous thing that I could do. And taking that risk of faith and saying, Lord, okay, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you in this. Is actually the safest thing that I can do. So I just want to encourage you, challenge you, to take that risky step of faith. Whatever the lions that you're facing, don't avoid it. Don't live in denial. Don't manage your life around it and wait for a convenient time because it's not going to happen. It's not going to come. There's no better time than right now. Go down into that pit. Wrestle with that lion. And kill it. Step out in faith in spite of any feelings of fear that you might have that are genuine, that might be strong. Because you see, that's what it means to be fearless. I'd like for us just to uh, bow in prayer here. And, and as we do that, um, perhaps you, uh, and perhaps the Lord has raised to your attention something um, that you've been too afraid to admit to or deal with. You've been playing it safe, and yet this morning you know it's time. It's time to trust the Lord. You might even be terrified, but you know that it's time to take that step of faith, whatever that looks like for you, whatever the situation is. Just in your heart, would you just say, Lord, I will trust you. I will trust you. And as was referred to earlier during our 
her time this morning, maybe the issue that you're avoiding is your own standing with God. That if you were to be real honest, you would have to say, you know, I don't don't know if my life is right with God. I mean, I hope it is. I'll pretend it is. But, but I don't know if my sins are really forgiven. I hope they are. I'll pretend they are, but I just don't really know. And now is the time to take the most important step of faith. Placing your trust in what Jesus did on the cross for you. Would you just um, pray in your heart, Heavenly Father, I'm giving my life to you. I know I'm a sinner. Jesus, you died on the cross for my sins. So I place my trust in you. Forgive me. Make me a brand new person and teach me what it is to live for you. Oh Lord Jesus, I thank you for this precious body of believers that meet here in Woodland, Idaho place that most people have never heard of and a place where many people don't even know exists never even heard of it but Lord you've heard of it you know it you know this place, you know these people you know what you're up to in this fellowship of believers because there are no insignificant places and there's no insignificant people and there's no insignificant ministries in your eyes. And I pray, oh God, that you would bless them. I pray that you would abundantly, beyond measure, beyond all imagination or ability to to, uh, comprehend, that you would bless them. Lord, thank you for Kevin. Thank you for Christy. Thank you for the shepherd's heart they have. Thank you for the certainty that they know that you have called them uh, to this place and to these people and to this community. Lord, I pray that you would just pour out your blessing in whatever way that would look like according to your good pleasure. And we will thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you again for the opportunity to be here. It was a joy. And uh, I'm just glad my GPS got me.